Well, good evening, everyone. Next week's Easter, so that means today must be Palm Sunday. So we're going to look at that reading to kick off. So Matthew 21, I think you can still just see now that the clocks have changed and um, it's a bit of light out there. So we're just going to kick off by looking at Matthew 21, verses 1 to 11. It's on page 988, if you have the Bibles there. And it says, as they, that's Jesus and the others, approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with a colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone asks, if anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. And this took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, See, your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others caught branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of them and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. So that's what happened there that Palm Sunday with the, um, Jesus entering Jerusalem. The crowd came and they worshipped him. And that's what we're thinking about this evening is worship and adoration as we draw to the end of our series um, on, in Lent. And we want to think about that because it's a bit like those crowds did on that day. Um, they laid down their cloaks as a way of submitting. They waved their branches, a sign of victory, and they called out, Hosanna in the highest, and blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. It says it stirred up the whole city. Their worship stirred up the city, and everyone wondered what was happening. And that's what we're thinking about is worship, and, um, which we've done tonight beautifully. But what do we mean actually by the word worship? Where does it come from? What does it mean? Well, our English word worship comes from the Old English worth-ship, that is giving worth to something. And I guess over time the th got dropped as worth-ship and it just became worship. And that's where we get the word and that's what it means. It's basically a posture, it's an attitude of the heart that looks up to and it values something is greater than ourselves. And that is shown through our actions. Now, we can have the actions without the heart attitude. In other words, we can fake it. But we're unlikely to have the right heart attitude without the actions. Now, we are made to worship by our Creator. So humans have always looked to something greater than themselves and chosen to worship, to give worth in various ways. Through the ages, across the planet, people have worshipped all sorts of things, what the Bible calls idols, and they worshipped in all sorts of ways, usually involving different kinds of sacrifices and rituals. Fascinating sociology study. Now, in our day and age, many people can think they're really too sophisticated for that, too sophisticated to have idols and too sophisticated to behave in that way of worshipping something. But it's just not true, because we are made to worship, and we will whether we call it that or not. Now, I have some pictures, if Chris is able to get them up for me, of um, a few examples. So I have a picture of a football game match. Sorry, sometimes I'm still very American. Um, 
Is it behind? Oh, there it is. Oh, you can't see it very clearly because it's bright. But this is um, a Chinese team, and can you see they all have their hands up? And I chose one from China because I thought, it just, it, wherever it is in the world, people react the same. They've got their hands up, they're excited, they're um, basically worshipping, they're giving worth to something, they're giving their all to it. And then I have a picture of a concert, which again, I found so many pictures, and actually when I put the word worship in, what came up was a concert with loads of people doing this. People with their hands raised, they're excited, they're giving worth to something. Um, a picture of the paparazzi, because we have a cult of celebrity, we can end up worshipping a person or a celebrity. Um, giving worth to them, investing our time and energy in them. We can also worship money, give our worth to it, thinking it gives worth to us. People worship fame. Lots of people worship science and reason. That's where they put all their attention, and they give worth to that. Some of us worship comfort. Some of us worship family. Um, some of us just worship ourselves. We give it all to ourselves. Um, even if we wouldn't say we love or adore something, we will invest something with honor and glory. It's just what we do. And it will involve all of us at some level. It will involve our body like those crowds raising their hands. Just basically, as humans, that's just what we do. We just get excited. We lift our hands when we're like really into something. Um, but really, it's God we should be raising up and lifting up our hands to. It'll involve our minds because we'll think about it. We'll give it our attention. It will involve our souls because we'll invest our emotions into it and our bank account. And it will involve our spirits, whether for good or bad. Now, if you aren't sure or you think you know, but you just want to check, a helpful way to know what it is you worship, what you give worth to, is to take a look at your diary and to take a look at your bank account. What you spend your time on, and where your money goes will show what you give worth to. It will show where your priorities are. And now, lots of those things, those things I was talking about, they're not bad things, but they shouldn't take the place of the worth we give to God. He should be the first place. Because it's only by worshiping God, the one we're made to worship, that we receive anything truly life-giving and positive in return for our worship. When we worship God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, what we're doing is we're giving him his due. He deserves it. We're acknowledging him for who he is. And <clears throat> we make room for him to move. And we get so much more in return when he does that. Now, David, in the Psalms, in Psalm 27, he says this. He said, one thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. He wanted to go where God was to be able to spend time with him and worship him. And then he says, for in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At his sacred tent, I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Now, David was a man who understood worship, the significance of it, what it meant, the joy of it, and the transformation it brings. He knew, as many of us do, that a moment in God's presence, it can change everything. And that's why times of sung corporate worship together, they're so important, because it enables us to enter his presence together 
It reminds us who God is. It lifts us beyond the present moment. And it gets us ready for eternity because we're going to be doing a lot of worship when we get to heaven. Um, The glimpses we have of heaven makes it clear that that's um, what's going on there. It also unites us. It unites us here together, but with all the other family of God around the world. As Paul said last week, we were, um, we were in Hawaii, and we were able to go to this church in Honolulu, and it was just like being with family. As we were singing songs together, we could join in, even though we didn't know most of the people there. Um, having these times of worship together, it just brings us together in God's presence. It's very precious. Having words put to music and then singing them together, that helps us express ourselves or express our hearts. We might not be talented enough to write down those words that way, and it makes it easier easier for us all to join in together. Now, some of the songs we sing, some of the songs we sang tonight, they just declare truth about God, who He is, what He's done, who we are in Him, and some of them are directed directly to Him in thanksgiving and praise. And the idea is, as we come, become familiar with the song, and we no longer need to stare at the screen uh, reading the words, we can really focus on what those words express, and we can sing them to the Lord, using not only our voices, but also other parts of our body. Our hands lifted in worship, um, our hands open in submission or giving. Um, that's what I do a lot. Uh, we can be kneeling and submission to the Lord. We can engage all of our body in this as well as our voices. We also engage our mind. We're thinking about what we're singing. We engage our soul, our emotions in it. And obviously, our spirit comes alive again as we sing these songs. And I just want to talk briefly through a song we've been singing recently, um, just as an example. And the words are, I'm just going to take a drink. I've been taking a lot of cold medication. It makes you really thirsty. Um, Worthy is your name. And it starts off by saying, it was my cross you bore, so I could live in the freedom you died for. Just reminding us why we're singing to him. And now my life is yours. It's a statement that we're making. And I will sing of your goodness forevermore. Worthy is your name, Jesus. You deserve the praise. Worthy is your name. We're giving worth. We're praising him. And now my shame is gone. I stand amazed in your love undeniable. Your grace goes on and on, and I will sing of your goodness forevermore. Again, the writer is writing down for us words about what, what happens, what the exchange that we have with the Lord. When we come to him, he takes our shame. It's amazing. It's wonderful. We're filled with his love, and we just want to sing about it. Worthy is your name, Jesus. You deserve the praise. Worthy is your name. And then it goes on to say, be exalted now in the heavens as your glory fills this place. It's reminding us he is in heaven, seated, but he also is here with us. The words just tell the truth about that, and we sing them and express them. You alone deserve our praise. You are the name above all names. It's a great song, simple, but really expresses wonder and worth. And it's a great song to sing together. Now we can sing the words like we would sing along with a song Um, that we're listening to in our car or at home or something on the radio. And there is value to that, but really we're meant to sing it intentionally, engaging our mind, engaging our heart, and that's where real life comes. And for me, there's no substitute for the joy that comes from being able to worship together in this way. 
I received so much from the Lord in times of worshiping with others. Often, regularly, a resetting of my perspective. I can come in with worries and concerns and this and that, but as I sing and the Lord meets with me as I sing to him, oh, oh yeah, okay, I remember now. You're in charge. It's going to be okay. A resetting of perspective. Peace often comes. I felt great peace during this time of worship tonight, just the presence, heaviness of the Lord. I've been healed emotionally during times of worship, often with tears, sometimes with joy. I've been healed physically during times of worship. I've also heard from the Lord during times of worship. He comes very close when we're um, all engaged in this together. I've heard words and pictures from myself and for others. Just so much can happen during these times of worship together. And I love how um, it's always been this way, how Charles Spurgeon put it back in the 1800s. He says, to be wrapped in praise to God is the highest state of the soul. To receive the mercy for which we praise God for is something but to be wholly clothed with praise to God for the mercy received is far more. Why, praise is heaven, and heaven is praise. To pray is heaven below, but praise is the essence of heaven above. When you bow in adoration, you are at your very highest. And ideally, these times of worship together, or even the times of worship you have on your own, so easy, you can stream music, you can worship any, any place um, in this way. Well, this should always reflect what's going on in the rest of our lives, the rest of the time, because worship is more than just singing songs, although that is part of it. True worship is shown in our lives through our actions. Now, I was at a conference a few years ago, and I heard Darlene Sheck, um, a famous worship leader. She wrote Shout to the Lord, among other songs. Um, and she was doing a talk, and she said the first worship mention of worship, and I didn't know this before then, in English translations is in Genesis 22.5. And it's in the context of Abraham being told to sacrifice his son Isaac, to sacrifice him, to kill him, and sacrifice him as a burnt offering. And I'll just read those verses from Genesis 22. Um, it says, sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain, I will show you. Early the, it doesn't tell us what Abraham thought. It just Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship, and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the word for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife, and the two of them went on together. Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Awkward. Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took a knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. 
Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up, and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Now, it's a very profound and yet very disturbing story. Our God of love and mercy tells his most faithful servant to kill his son the son that had been promised by him and long, long awaited. Now, many other people of that time worshiped gods that demanded human sacrifice, but Abraham's God was different. He never asked. In fact, he detested human sacrifice until now. But when Abraham sets off to kill his son, as instructed, he calls it still an act of worship. Now, you will have many questions about this story. I know I do. But in the end, we must treat it as Abraham treated being told to sacrifice his son. He just accepted it, and he trusted God because he trusted that God knew what he was doing. And laying what matters most to you on the altar of sacrifice and trusting God knows what he is doing, it is the ultimate act of worship. It is not an easy thing to do to surrender what's most important to you, whether it's giving something up a person, a job, a place, or whether it's turning to him when we are in a storm to say we trust him even though it feels like everything is out of control. It's costly, but as Abraham found, God is faithful and he provides when we lay it all before him, when we show we trust he knows what he's doing. Now, we have another great example of this with Job. Now, he was in the midst of the very worst sort of storm, Through no fault of his own, his children were wiped out in one day. All his wealth was taken from him, and then he became so sick. He was covered in sores and isolated from everyone else. Only his wife remained to tell him to curse God already and die. Now, I think it's what most of us would have been tempted to do, but not Job. Now, Job did question. He did complain, but he never said to God, you are bad because you've done this to me. He still praised God, and he blessed God. And that's why it tells us Job did not sin in what he said. And we know that in the end, Job was healed and received double all he had lost. That's Abraham and Job. And then also David in 1 Chronicles 21. And as I said, if anyone understood worship, it was David. And at this point, he messed up. He deliberately, deliberately disobeyed God's specific instruction not to count the fighting men. God just wanted him to trust him. But David insists on counting them. And as a result, a plague sweeps through the land. David then wants to make it right by building an altar where an angel told him to build it. And the man who owned this land where the altar was going to be built tried to just give it to David. You know, David was the king. He's like, just take it. Um, But David insisted on paying for this full price. Um, It says, David replied to Aruna, the man who owned the land. He said, no, I insist on paying the full price. I will not take for the Lord what is yours or sacrifice a burnt offering that cost me nothing. And there's also the story of David before he becomes king in 1 Samuel 30. Now, at this point of his life, David is still on the run from Saul, King Saul. Um, but David's got a big reputation, and a lot of people have come um, to, to join him. Loyal fighting men have gathered around him. And these men came with their wives and their children, and they were all living in a place called Ziklag. Great name. 
Um, what happens is that David and his men go out to fight with another army, but they're sent back home because the officers of this army don't really trust David. You know, he's an Israelite. Can we really trust him? And they're like, no, I don't think so. Just go away. We'll fight this battle without you. So he and his men return to Ziklag, but they find it raided and burned. And uh, it says, David and his men reached Ziklag on the third day. Now the Amalekites had raided the Negev and Ziklag. They attacked Ziklag and burned it and had taken captive the women and everyone else in it, young and old. They killed none of them, but carried them off and went on their way. When David and his men reached Ziklag, they found it destroyed by fire and their wives and their sons and their daughters taken captive. So David and his men wept aloud until they had no strength left to weep. David's two wives had been captured, and Noam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. Each one was bitter in spirit because of his sons and daughters. But David found strength in the Lord his God. Now that is a significant verse. David was greatly distressed, no surprise there. Everything had been taken away, his family had been stolen, and now his men who'd come to him to support him, they're just thinking it's a good idea to stone him instead. He's having a bad day. But the key is the end of the verse. David found strength in the Lord his God. Now it doesn't tell us how David did it, it just says he did, he found strength in the Lord his God. But because it's David we're talking about, we can safely assume worship was involved. His psalms are full of him reminding himself who God is and what he can do and praising God and affirming his hope in him, however th bad things look. Back to Psalm 27, which ends with these words where David says, I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the land, goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord, be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. That's what David um, said in his psalm, and those are good words to tell yourself whenever life is hard. Now, the good news is, after David strengthened himself in the Lord, as it told us, he and his men chased, and he sought the Lord and said, what do I do now? And he felt God say, go after them. He and his men chased after those who stole their families, and they got them all back, all their possessions, all their families, plus a lot more. And it's actually the last story we have of David before he hears of Saul's death and then becomes the process of becoming king himself. So Abraham, Job, and David each understood when life is hard, worship matters. Not just going through the motions, paying God lip service, superficial worship, but real worship that costs us. Worship that trusts God knows what he's doing. We may not feel like doing it. In fact, we probably won't if we're in that sort of place, but we can still choose to. And that will help us. It'll make us feel better. Again, our, our perspective will be reset. We'll hear from him. He'll speak to us. He'll bring us his peace, his comfort, his direction. It makes space for him to move in us in our circumstances. So as we enter this holy week and remember all Jesus did for us, after the crowds praised him, and then he went through this this week, and then by the end of the week, they've turned against him, and he's crucified. It should cause us to want to worship, both in the privilege of our coming together as the community of God and praising him for who he is and all he's done. And that's great, and we really learned that during um, when we weren't allowed to sing, didn't we, and we had to warm out and all of that, and how wonderful it is to praise him together. But also in our daily lives, no matter whether it's a good day, 
or it's a bad day, whatever's happening, never changes the fact that God is God and he is worth our worship. So we're going to respond tonight. I'll just pray, but then we're going to respond with worship. So I'll ask the band to come back up and we'll just put into practice. And um, so Lord, I thank you. Thank you for the privilege of worship. Thank you for how you've made us. That means that um, we have this capacity in us to look outside of ourselves and to give worth. And though we want to give it to you, you're the one who deserves it. There's no one else like you. No one else can save us. No one else can heal us. No one else can deliver us. Only you. So help us, Lord, to learn what it means to worship you. Wherever stage we are, we would go deeper into it. We'd be able to focus on you, to sing the songs together intentionally, to mean it. And Lord, to use our voices and our bodies and our mind and our spirits and our souls, every bit of us in worship to you as we are together, but also, Lord, in our day-to-day lives. But now, Lord, we just want to turn our attention to you again and just want to um, together declare who you are and what you mean to us. Thank you, Lord.